From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. It's always been hard for me to explain Dwight Clark to my kids or people who don't remember the 1981-1982 San Francisco 49ers. He was the player who came from out of nowhere on the team that came from out of nowhere. The catch, his leaping grab that sent the 49ers to the Super Bowl was a symbol. But Clark was so much more than that one play. He had a special charisma at a time when the Bay Area needed a happy-go-lucky hero. And when fans showed him love, he returned it. That return continues to this day, more than a year after his death, which came after a public battle with ALS. Today's The Big Event is a tribute to Dwight Clark with KMBR's Brian Murphy, NBC Sports Bay Area's Matt Mayoko, and photographer Brad Mangin. They've all worked on the book Letters to 87 out on August 7, 2019. It's filled with letters written to Clark and tells the story of Dwight Clark while putting him in context with the era, one fan at a time. Here's Mayoko talking about one of the letters from a fan who grabbed Candlestick Park turf moments after the catch in 1982 and sent it to Dwight in 2019. The 49ers great was presented with the gift from teammate Kena Turner just weeks before Clark died. Um, when, when Kena lifted up that, that baggie of turf, the look on Dwight's face was, uh, I, I mean, it was priceless. It was priceless, and his reaction, the first thing he said was, I'm taking this with me. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I just thought, does that mean what I think it means? Mm -hmm. And it certainly did. Yeah. He certainly did. He, uh, in fact, as Rick Winter's uh, job, Dwight had, had told Rick several times, I think later that day and throughout the days, make sure... This is your job, Rick. Make sure this piece of turf goes with me. Let me emphasize there's a lot of laughter in this episode, too. I've known Brian Murphy for 20 years and Mayoko and Manjin for almost that long, and we all have Dwight Clark stories. More information about the book at letters87.com. All the royalties go to the Golden Heart Fund, which gives medical, financial, and emotional support to ex-players. There's an August 7th, 4 p.m. book launch event at Pete's Tavern in China Basin, San Francisco. There's an August 9th, 7.30 p.m. event at Green Apple Books on the Park. That's in the inner sunset. And then September and October events in Corte Madera and Berkeley. Again, details and updated signing schedule at wwwletters to 87 com We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle. Brad Mangin, Brian Murphy, Matt Mayoko, here for our Dwight Clark tribute. Thanks for coming. We're delighted Peter. to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This yeah. is, I mean, we could hang out here all day, really. We might. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, oh, yeah. We've already had a really good hang. We've, we've yeah. gone to a couple different rooms in the Chronicle, looked at some photos. To see Brad look at pictures is like, you know, it's like Montana at a, at a quarterback camp. You know yeah. what I mean? For Brad, he's like, well, this guy is the backstory on this guy. Here's the backstory on this photo. Here's the back. So Excellent. Well, I, I wanted to kind of start in the beginning because uh, we have a lot of, a lot of Bay Area people here. And um, just even the first kind of recognition you had of Dwight Clark, the first time you really noticed he was here, um, drafted 
was he drafted? Drafted in a tenth, tenth round. Tenth round. A tenth round doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and and he was working out with the Clemson quarterback. That's how they even knew about him, right? Well, the the story is that Dwight was getting ready to go play a round of golf. His roommate was Steve Fuller, the quarterback at Clemson. Uh, Bill Walsh wanted a quarterback, and he was going around and, and working out quarterbacks. He called Steve Fuller's apartment. Dwight is literally leaving the room, and he goes back, picks up the phone. It's Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh says, what position do you play? Would you mind catching passes from Steve Fuller? And that's how it happened. Yeah. Sliding doors, right? <laughs> I mean, he said he could have blown off the call and gone and played golf. Yeah. Nowadays – you you know you hit decline on yourself and go play <laughs> golf right and the funny thing is too that Dwight you know he did not have a remarkable yeah. career at Clemson but he said that day he was catching everything yeah. in sight I mean Dwight's numbers were remarkably low yeah but he looked at this one game where he caught was it two or three balls two passes. Yeah. he's like show me that film you caught two balls he, I and, think he was the third best receiver on Clemson he had like seventeen catches his senior year and yeah, Dwight yeah. said that. It was one particular route that Bill was like, that route right there, I can, I can work with that. And as we learned a lot, because uh, Murph and I went to a, a lunch with Dwight, and he loves to tell stories, and Brad went to many lunches with Dwight uh, toward the end there. But Dwight always talked about how he kept his bags packed because he thought pretty much every day in that first training camp of 1979, it was going to be his final day. And so yeah. he was just happy to be there. He said he would go going through the back door so that they wouldn't see him. So hopefully he could like not get cut on his way in into the facility. Yeah. And uh, and and remember that was a story about playing golf. Was it at Crystal Springs? They were at Redwood City. That's where they used to. Well, they, they weren't in Rockland yet, were they? They but, were in. Well, for some reason they were in Redwood City. And he was, was playing 81. golf at Crystal Springs. Yeah, they're San Jose State. They 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 were training in San Jose State for a while. Yeah. I know he had that story about him walking back on the side of the freeway. He didn't have a ride back from a <laughs> golf course, and he, had, he wanted to play Pebble Beach. And there was, it oh, just, yeah, he, that was his goal. He was gonna. He said, "I my goal when he came to the 49ers was just to say I was in a camp and go play Pebble Beach." Right, and that right, was it because right. he knew he was going to get cut. And then you know, of course, the other guy who was on the 49ers when he got there is a guy named O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson, who famously <laughs> called Dwight for whatever reason. I just didn't care enough to learn the guy's name, called him C.D. Instead C. of D.C. Because <laughs> everyone called Dwight D.C. And at, some, at several of the lunches I was at, when I was at the last eight of them, there were a lot of funny O.J. stories. <laughs> because O.J. was there in 79 and, and when and Dwight was a rookie. Couldn't be bothered to get his nickname right. Called well, him C.D. I think Simpson's an important kind of person to mention here. Because this is 79. Let's set the stage. This is a time when if you were a Niner fan, you were feeling oh. hopeless. You wanted a hero. The 49ers tried to buy a hero with O.J. Simpson. Um, that didn't work out. The 49er fans kind of adopted the, the Paul Hofer types. Yes. But, I mean, he, he was given his all, but he wasn't going to bring them to the promised land. And Dwight Clark gets on this team at a time. He's kind of the perfect person at the perfect time. And... Beyond his what what became you know a lot of athletic talent and a lot of uh, uh, great moments, he was a striking figure. Um, I remember you know I wanted to feather my hair in seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty. I couldn't do it. He was just a, a strapping, funny. He had an accent uh, in the Bay Area. I felt like like a Southern accent was like European almost because you know, <laughs> you, and uh, I just remember 
immediately the first time I saw him, probably on like Wayne Walker's 49er preview doing an interview that I, as a kid, just wanted to be like this guy and wanted to know more and couldn't wait to see him play. Well, I mean, he was more famous at the beginning, not for being Dwight Clark. He was famous for being Sean Weatherly's mm-hmm. boyfriend. Yeah. And we looked she, at those photos, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they're both striking, strikingly handsome she individuals. Was, Sean Weatherly was Miss Universe, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. Not she just was, Miss USA, no, right? Miss Universe. And so the deal was the, the Niners drafted a guy who was, they were married, right? No, no. No, just boyfriend, girlfriend? Just boyfriend, girlfriend. The, the Niners drafted a guy whose girlfriend was Miss Universe. Matt's right. That was way more important than his... He wasn't, because yeah. the guy was Montana. That was the guy. But even he was a third rounder. So um, I didn't think Dwight really arrived in our consciousness until about 81 that season. 80 was the... And everybody goes back to it. The, the 80 season, when they won six games, right? Mm-hmm. And the win over the Saints. Right. When the they were down comeback. 35 to 7. The big comeback. Yeah. That was yeah. his first big game, right? Yeah. I mean, It had been about an eight-year drought. And then that win over the Saints... Lit a little tiny ember. Yeah. But 81 wasn't until Dwight arrived. and But, of course, he, Joe was the guy. That was something that, that Dwight found out much later, that Bill Walsh was never going to cut him because he loved him. Well, everybody loved him. I mean, uh, Joe Montana, you know, I think could be difficult, a little bit icy. Mm. Uh, I remember I, I met uh, both of them, but I met Dwight Clark twice, and I felt totally comfortable going up to Dwight Clark. It just seemed like he was sort of the life of the party. He gave off that vibe. Oh, there's no question that when he talked about the gods being on his shoulder that day at Clemson, the gods were on his shoulder the day he was born. You, 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 there's people that come out into this world that just, that just have it, and there's some that don't, and he had it. Whether you want to start with his physical good looks yeah. He was disarmingly handsome, but not in an intimidating way, like yeah. a Don Draper or somebody like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like a uh, John Hamm. He was uh, handsome, tall, incredibly friendly, incredibly social, comfortable in his own skin, self-deprecating, all of it. You couldn't create a guy like I used to say. Yeah. He, he was a, to me like a character from a Dan Jenkins novel. Like Dan Jenkins would make him up. The, the guy who dated Miss Universe, who came out of the 10th round from the Deep South, handsome, charming, and caught the most famous pass in the history of the league. That's a Dan Jenkins character, yeah. you know? Everybody loved him. Yeah. I mean, women loved him. Men loved him. It's the old line. Uh, women loved him and men wanted to be him, yeah. right? You know? <laughs> so is he, is he the most popular Bay Area sporting figure ever when you take into account on field and what he's meant to the history, as well as the persona, the image it's on off the short the field. list. I put like McCovey on that list too. I think McCovey. Maybe. I think you take McCovey and Steph have that combination Steph, yeah. of being incredibly talented and having that approachability. Like kids, just immediately they see Steph, they see McCovey, um, and they just kind of glom onto him. I think I think Dwight Clark had that. I remember being a kid and feeling that way. I mean, just like that's like the big brotherly figure. The the thing so that's interesting, I, I think he's up there. Like with this book, is that so many of the people who wrote letters felt like you know they met, only met him once or maybe met him twice, but he had this uncanny ability of making you feel important and making you feel like there's a moment there and that he's enjoying meeting you every bit as much as you're enjoying meeting him. Well, is it Brad, the example of that is, Brad, you didn't, you know, you'd done baseball mostly all your career. I mean, I know you did football, but you hadn't really known Dwight when you went to those lunches, right? Right. And, uh, then, they, and then by the end of it, 
Well, I mean, our our mutual friend Kirk Reynolds, who was another key figure in putting this book together. Without Kirk, there's no book, and there's none of this. There's no lunches. There's nothing. Um, Kirk brought me in, and because I was Kirk's guy, Dwight trusted me. Um, I did have to prove that I was trustworthy, you know, because I heard a lot of crazy stories, and, and Dwight made some funny comments about the stories I was hearing the first couple lunches. Um but to hear him tell the stories to his teammates where there's no cameras, there's no video, there's no NFL films, there's no nothing. Everyone could let their hair down and listen to Dwight and the, the moments they shared, the brotherhood, the love for each other. Every Tuesday with Dwight down in Capitola, there's guys flying in from all over the country. I mean, there was Sam Weiss flew in from the East Coast one one Tuesday, and then I had to drive him back to the airport because he didn't have a ride. And he, yeah, getting to be around him and hear that Southern accent and hear the stories and and the thing about Dwight, we're talking about Bay Area athletes, and obviously we've been blessed to see so many in in our lifetimes. The thing about Dwight was he had a moment. It wasn't a milestone. It wasn't a record. Mm-hmm. It was a moment that galvanized an entire area that sent them to the Super Bowl, that basically won them the Super Bowl. And and Dwight got it. I mean, he would say over and over again, he said, I was a good player who had a great moment. And he understood it. And he, you know, I heard it at lunches. And then he famously talked to Matt about it on a podcast Matt did. You know, I love hearing the stories from the fans, where they were when I made the catch. And he says, I'd love to do a book or something and get letters because he had the biggest kick out of it, you know, and, and, and he just loved it. Hearing, he loved the fans. I, I think he had the moment, but I think that's a huge thing, and that's how people identify him. But I also think of him for just all the kind of different and quirky and unexpected and funny and charming things oh, yeah. he did. Oh, yeah, definitely. When, well, I, example, when I, came down, I came down to the archive here for the first time, like when they gave me the keys, one of the first thing I did was start looking up all these things that I wasn't sure if I had imagined. <laughs> you know, did Dwight Clark really do like the threes company thing with, with Joe Montana? I remember that story. Uh, and he did. Uh, and he and did. He did. Uh, I, we have it right here, the photo. Like, I wasn't sure if I imagined that Dwight Clark had a huge uh, fur coat Coyote. In the uh, yeah. 80, 82 Super Bowl and parade, he brought it to the parade, too, in a kind of a little bit uh, sulky-looking Sean Weatherly's holding it on the cable car for him. But uh, so many of these things, like, even beyond that one great play, um, well, and, and just stories, the, the legend kind of builds. Stories from his brother Jeff, who's an amazing guy. His younger brother Jeff, we heard tell about having Dwight as an older brother. I mean, what an older brother he was. And then hearing Dwight tell childhood stories mm-hmm. about him and his buddies, pranks they would do and goofy things. I mean, you, you know, he was the guy that even back then when he was eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, that everyone gravitated to yeah. and, and that he was having fun and, and, and getting into mischief back then that, uh, you know that that was just hysterically funny. The more we talk about it, the more it's just 
the fact that I'm looking at this picture of him in the fur coat, and you're right, Pete, and I know you've written about this before in podcasts about it before, because like, I'm just like you. I'm only, we're only like one or two years apart. The fur coat was one of the first things that when I you know turned whatever, 30 or 40, I'm like, did that really happen? And you did admit <laughs> that it happened. But it just then to get kind of, you know on the other side of it that 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 this guy this most vibrant and charismatic guy is the guy who gets ALS yeah and you know so he plays um retires starts Clark's by the Bay restaurant uh later on he's in Santa Cruz you see him around he's at games Montana would come and go you know you'd hear he's coming and then maybe he doesn't show up Clark was kind of a just a fixed presence around here it felt like and then you hear that he has ALS, and uh, mind blowing, right? Yeah, I mean, kind of like Lou Gehrig, like the you know that what is he one of the greatest baseball players in history, and all, he plays two thousand one hundred thirty in a row, and then he gets ALS. Yeah. I mean, it seemed inexplicable. Yeah, I, I remember the time it was before Clemson played the national championship game, so this would have been uh, what was that January of two thousand seventeen, I believe, and I called Dwight in. And I left a message, and then he called me back a very short time later, and he was breathing kind of heavy, and he goes, hey, Matt, what's going on? And I just said, oh, I just want to see what you're up to. And he goes, hey, I really can't talk right now. I'm going to the hospital. And he said, he said, yeah, I'm kind of worried. I got, you know, he, it, he described what, you know, ALS symptoms are. And when I got off the phone, I said to my wife, oh, my God, I think Dwight has ALS. And he already knew at that point, but he wasn't going public with it and then he was on his way to go to i think that that championship game was in florida he was going there to to appear at something clemson related i'm sure and that game clemson won the national championship on sprint ride option the same play yeah. that yeah to uh, hunter renfro that yeah now that, a raider that the 49ers won uh the yeah. nfc championship game in so then dwight clark gets this disease that's going to physically diminish him yeah. the way that you think about him. And, and I thought when I heard about it that I wasn't going to see him again, that he was going to disappear, that he might be proud. Um, I certainly couldn't imagine seeing this this disease affect him. And then something special happened, I think. Well, I think he probably I think he struggled with that because he didn't you know, he didn't make very many, very many appearances. Uh, for a while, you know, I just put it out there. Hey, if you ever feel like you you have a message or you want to talk, let me know. Um, and I think he had to kind of wrap his his mind around the fact that you know he had been diagnosed with ALS. Um, I mean, it, it obviously it terrified him. I remember him talking about you know I look at that wheelchair and I you know I just I can't even bring myself to think of what it's going to be like when I'm unable to move. So at some point I know that he had a lunch with a couple of the guys and, and then I, I believe he mentioned to Kirk Reynolds how much fun that was. And then that's how that all started of Tuesdays in Capitola bringing guys in and he love that yeah. he is a social person he wanted you know he wanted to tell stories and laugh he wanted to laugh more than anything he wanted to be touched and and i think at, at some point there in that fall he just wanted to enjoy life as much as as he could knowing that 
it was going to be a finite finite uh, amount of time that he had left. Do, do you guys remember the first time that you saw him once the disease was really taking its toll? Yeah, it was the Capitola lunch was my first one. Maddie had seen him. You come around the corner in the restaurant, he's, you know, dramatically thinner, for sure. You can see it in the hands. ALS kind of skinnies up the arms and the wrists a lot. You lose your muscles. So you see that. But I wrote this, and I wrote that in the essay, too, that I did, that even till the end, still the handsomest guy in the room. <laughs> that was the most amazing thing. The bone structure, the eyes, the hair, the, the, the olive skin. I was like, how does a guy with ALS... How is he still the most handsome guy in the room? That's Dwight. Yeah. You know, he just looked. I, I said to him in that, yeah. and I said, Dwight, I know this. You look good, man. You look good. He's like, get the blank out of here. I'm like, I'm serious. You're Dwight. You still look good. <laughs> now he was gaunt, of course, and I think it it went faster than most everybody thought or expected. I don't know. We were up. All three of us were up yeah. there on May twentieth. Yeah, right. He died on June. He died two weeks later. I think we all knew. We knew, but I mean, even then, though, because the guys with ALS, do, can you can live a long time with it. Mm-hmm. Steve mm-hmm. Gleason's still well, out the, there. Well, the big know? thing to me is uh, you guys had the media lunch in early January of a year and a half ago or so, and then I came the next week, and I went to the last eight lunches in a row. The last one was on March 6th. They moved to Montana on March 14th, and then the reunion that Mr. Bartolo organized with the help of Kirk and Fred Formosa was on April 20th and from the time I saw him on March 6th to April 20th there was a big difference and it had suddenly just not seeing him that long you know it was harder to breathe and and talk and by then it was up to his buddies to do most of the storytelling and talking and Dwight got tired a lot faster. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because he's the storyteller and at some point it shifts to not just the people around him are going to tell stories, but the fans are going to tell stories and I'm already choking up. I'm thinking about the book, book you put together, Matt, and you guys worked on. Um, how did that happen? Well, I had talked to him uh, you know, a couple months earlier and he had mentioned, as Brad uh, alluded to, that you know, he loved to hear those stories, and so I had people send in letters. Um, you know, I, I said to him, I, I, we did a podcast, and I said on the podcast, as soon as he said that, I said, well, let's let's do this. I'm going to have people write letters, and, and I'm going to send them up there to you in, in Whitefish because he was getting ready to move. And to so, Montana. To Montana, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, more well more than 100 letters came up, and, and then Kirk Reynolds called me at some point and said, hey, uh, Dwight would like you to bring the letters up. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, when, when when can I go? And he goes, well, uh, we're going to go in, in June, and we're going to go uh, in three days. And I said, well, I, I want to go in three days. And I'm really, really glad that happened because uh, he was not able to make that, that next yeah. uh, lunch that people were going up there. We, we met – uh, well, we were all staying at the same hotel in Whitefish. It was us three, Brad, Murph, myself, uh, Keena Turner, Ronnie Lott, Fred Formosa, Kirk Reynolds, Lyle Lyle Hennigan, Hennigan, yeah. and Jerry Attaway, mm-hmm. strength and conditioning Jerry, coach. Yeah. So that morning, we were going to take the letters to his place, and we were going to sit around 
Well, no, and first we were he was going to come lunch. out to lunch in Whiteface. That's right. That's, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We were going to. He was going to come to us, but he wasn't. That's when we well. knew. Yeah, they said. So we went out to lunch, and I had these letters, and I had them sorted by kind of you know uh, the theme of the letters, yeah. and I ended up handing yeah. them out to everybody, and we sat around and read letters amongst ourselves for what an hour or so yeah. at least, and. Ronnie, like, would like, oh, I want to read this one. Oh, Kina, hmm. oh, I like this one. Are you I guys read just like one. bawling? I, you know what? No, I uh, no, no, I think it was. Be, I, you know what I think? You want to be strong and, and and normal for him. You know what I mean? And it's we like, were we were on a mission. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. were. And, this was our and, game plan. And also, like, we were at that. Yeah, we this. were. Yeah, we were. It was like a pregame chalk talk. And at yeah, the yeah. lunch, you got to remember, this is like talk. Murph talked about pinching yourself. Then Ronnie is mixing in some of the most hysterical stories yeah. about Coach Bill Walsh. Oh, yeah, they talked about Bill And the lot. mind games yeah. he would play yeah. with them. <laughs> and then there's Jerry Attaway, who knew Bill so well. He's confirming stories. So there, so Bill would, uh, would, you would meet Bill, and he would say something. He would take out a piece of paper. He'd take out a note yeah. card and write, write down, down on it, and then he'd walk away. And then kind of put yeah. it in his pocket. <laughs> he just, he just <laughs> sized me up <laughs> somehow, some way. Oh man! And they're like, "What did he just write about me?" Yeah, uh huh. So, yeah. so a lot went on in which that. Which led line. to yeah. another Bill well, story of them walking. Remember Dwight saying the teller that um, he was walking down the hallway at that first training camp, and he didn't even think Bill knew who he was, and he walked by him, and, and Bill just said, "Clark, pick it up out there," <laughs> and he was like, "Oh my god!" He threw all his stuff in a bag, and he said, it "Went out the next day, got into a fight with everybody on the practice <laughs> field." Right. So, <laughs> so yeah. going back to Ronnie. When when Kirk told me who was going to be going to Whitefish, and he said Ronnie, I immediately kind of tensed up because I'm thinking, I don't know that I belong in that yeah, group. No, definitely and, did not. And, I did not. And you need yeah. to be, you you need Ronnie's approval. Yes. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know, you know, how I'm not a teammate. Yeah. How's how's Ronnie going to yeah, react to me? Yeah. Kirk calls me later, and he goes, Ronnie is fired up you're going and he says what a great idea matt's bringing the letters and we can sit around and read the letters and i thought at that point i'm thinking oh this is going to be good yeah, yeah. Because- ronnie's the kind of guy that when we got to the house it, dwight was having a rough day that's why we didn't have the lunch in whitefish and that's why we went from having a living room meeting with him to his bedroom meeting in bed but we got there, and you know, you're trying to be as strong and normal as possible. Rick Winters, who's who was this just ins- incredible angel on earth, this former Navy SEAL, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Who Dwight had befriended at an event, or yeah, I, um, think, I think Rick was working security. He was working security, and, he and, and Rick event, just yeah. said, "I'm going to go with my buddy till the end," and moved up there. And Rick got us beers, but Dwight, I mean, uh, Ronnie and and Kelly yeah. oh. disappeared. Remember for about. Kelly yes, was yes. Kelly, his wife. Mm-hmm. For as as much as we wanted to be laughing and joking with Dwight, there was the backdrop of that he was having a bad day and things yeah. were getting worse by the day. Ronnie and Kelly, we didn't really get started till Ronnie and Kelly finished. I imagine she just kind of cried on his shoulder for about forty five minutes, and we were kind of just killing time until that's. I mean, Ronnie was just Ronnie was just a pillar throughout the entire thing. Yeah. I believe all the way there at the end too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, back to the book as you were saying, uh, you we brought the letters up, Maddie and and. Dwight loved them. Yeah, and, and it was great. I, uh, everybody picked out letters that resonated with them. And I remember I had I had a couple that I – the only one I handpicked the letters for were Murph. I grabbed two <laughs> letters that had some of uh, Dwight's more favorite and colorful words in them. <laughs> 
there was a there was an incredible mix of funny, you know, poignant, you know, that we just we, it, it it just oh, interwoven. There's a guy whose dad that. was a POW in Vietnam. Oh my god, that's where I got. Uh, yeah, that's where I was on the floor. I had to put the book down yeah, at that I mean, point. That and the there's a story about someone who's been holding on to turf well, from the, the field. Yeah, that's that, the that, that, that was the yeah, yeah. that was the one that we saved till the very end. Yeah. Kena read that one so, to him. To start off, it was you know, Dwight, as Murph mentioned, he was struggling, but he he rose to the occasion yes. and he was still Dwight and I mean I, I always see this vision of looking into the, the bedroom. I hadn't gone in yet. And Dwight was trying to take the oxygen mask off of himself mm-hmm. and c- couldn't. And Kina, Ronnie, but Kina for, on this particular moment went in there and just, you know, removed it for him with with such a love and care. Yeah. And and Dwight was having trouble talking and breathing, but he was still the life of the party. <laughs> I'm laughing now because I'm thinking as the day went on, I mean, some of the jokes some of that the, were told, some off of the, color, frequently off color. Some of the stories were fantastic. <laughs> well, I, I, I got to interrupt here and say that, you know, I had told Murph beforehand, I said, you know, Dwight has trouble breathing and talking a lot. I said, one of your main jobs here, you got to bring it. You got to mm-hmm. come because <laughs> Dwight loves Murph. And Murph, you got to make him laugh. And I'm telling you, there's a great picture in the book of Murph and Dwight. Yeah. And they are both they're looking at each other. And they're, Dwight's in bed and Murph's sitting there in a chair reading. Like, they're howling yeah. with laughter. Well, and that, and the, the story, the way, you know, we were in there and it was so rough beginning. Yeah. Stories started going. Dwight started loosening up his mood, just having his guys with him. And it was, as Matt said, after 45 minutes, an hour or so, Dwight stopped. He looked right at Matt with a big mm-hmm. grin on his face. He says, Matt, you brought the letters. You brought the letters, yeah. And yeah. then Matt took over, and we were off. Yeah. And then that, you probably tell the end with Kena and the grass then, huh? Yeah. I mean, there were, like we talked about, all these different ranges of emotions from you know hysterical, doubled-over laughter to... You know, just some of these letters, oh, so poignant. And the last one that I'd saved, and um, I think I was going to read some of it and then hand it over to Keenan. He was going to read the rest, and it's kind of the, um, the the centerpiece of what our documentary on NBC Sports Bay Area was all about, Letters to 87, and, and now this book from Matt Foley of San Rafael and his Mom and dad had been at that game, and they, the dad, after the game was over, went down to the field like fans could in those days to exit the stadium. He was situated in that, that end zone, went down and kind of estimated where he thought that catch occurred and grabbed a big piece of turf. What, what makes this even more poignant is that the Foley family has just been decimated by ALS, Two grandfathers, uh, three aunts. Oh, or I'm sorry, one aunt, three uncles, two cousins have all died from ALS. And so this was part of his letter. And then he talked about, you know, wishing to give this piece of turf to Dwight. And uh, as he noted in the letter uh, to me that, um, you know, hey, I hope you find a way to give this to Dwight. 
um, you know, this means so much to us as a family that we have this piece of turf. And when I told my father about this, uh, my father cried. Well, when when we shared that with, with Dwight, when Kina read that, and when Kina presented that piece of turf, and by the way, I should mention that we didn't talk... When we read the letter to Dwight, we didn't talk about the history of this family with ALS. We didn't, we we felt like we wanted to keep it more upbeat and we didn't talk about that. But in the book, it's it's in there. Um, When when Kina lifted up that, that baggie of turf, the look on Dwight's face was, uh, I mean, it was priceless. It was priceless. And his reaction, the first thing he said was, I'm taking this with me. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, I just thought, does that mean what I think it means? Mm-hmm. And it certainly did. Yeah, He certainly did. He, uh, in fact, is Rick Winter's uh, job. Dwight had, had told Rick several times, I think later that day and throughout the days, make sure this is your job, Rick. Make sure this piece of turf goes with me. Right? Ah. Maddie did this, by the way. It's just, it, it, to me, the overarching thing I was blown away with from the lunches in Capitola to the way Ronnie and Kina and Joe, and Joe did a lot of it, I think, away from the spotlight, right? Um, and all, all the guys he was with, the way they all, the love and friendship that these guys exhibited was on a, a degree I've never seen any group of people have, and it was incredibly inspiring. And anybody who's listening to this should 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 like take inspiration that this is how you treat your friends till the end and your loved ones to the end. You don't say, "Oh, I'm too busy." Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I wish I could have come over to see you, but I, you know, you know, it's, and yeah. But those guys, what they did for him is beyond description. And again, it gets back to what we said at the very start: the charisma. How the same way Dwight grabbed you in 1981 or 79 or 80 is the same way he grabbed them as a teammate, is the same way they said whatever he needs were there. Were you thinking at this point, or, or at, at what point were you thinking this is something that we can share, that can inspire people, can help people? Um, wh- when did the idea of the book come up? Well, I remember Dwight wanted a book, and I, you know I talked to him about this 10 years ago. Yeah. And I remember kicking it around with some people, and they didn't think it, it had a big national audience. You're talking about like a biography. No, a book like this. He oh. lo- he. Had, this wasn't the first time he had talked about having people write him letters. Because yeah. he had heard these. I, I was at events with him where people would come up to him and say, you know, I was there. This is what I was doing. And he got such a big kick out of it. So when, pre-ALS, yes, he was thinking he was, about yes. a letter book. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And, and as Kelly writes— and I, this isn't BS. He wanted to share that moment. Yeah. Like the thing that made it so much fun for him was that he could bring other people who had watched that game, experienced that moment, and hear it from their perspective. And that was his way of kind of like, hey, you know, this wasn't just me. You know, you jumping off the couch and, and breaking your ankle or you crashing through the, the window or you doing a dog pile on the middle of the floor, that was every much as a bit, you know, a part of this as me making that catch. So after after the, the we had read the letters, 
he said to me, Matt, is this going to be a book? And I said, I, I don't know that it will. But at that point, I thought, I have some resources at NBC Sports Bay Area. We have some very talented people over there. I said, I think this would make a great documentary. And he goes, okay, yeah, that sounds good to me. And he said, just make sure, you know, whatever comes of it supports the Golden Heart Fund. And so we did this documentary. Uh, Sean Madison produced it. I got tremendous support from the, the folks at NBC Sports Bay Area. And the, the documentary debuted in front of a small group, a private screening on 8-7 at Levi Stadium in their, their theater. And pretty much after that, ran and then it, it went it was it aired uh maybe a week or so after that um it, everybody said no nah, this has to be a book this has to be a book and you know it it happened we we've talked about how this happened brad mangin is i i would put him at the top of the list of how this happened well he contacted me and brad brad shot photos you know his photos are all over this and uh brian you've got an essay in there and it, it's i know it's a group effort well and i but i, it's I the guys who did the book for us i though. need to yeah, add right? that <laughs> talk about photos um first of all our cover is by the incredible legend john story yeah we were looking at some of his photos who down worked here. At the, here at yeah. the chronicle yeah. but for the most of his time he was at the examiner the great old examiner and he made one of the, the the iconic pictures ever of dwight making the catch that graces our cover and then inside the book there are close to 30 incredible yeah. pictures by the legend Michael Zagaris, the Z-Man, oh, who's yeah. been the 49ers team photographer since the 70s, <laughs> who was one of Dwight's best friends, who was with Dwight and, the, and a bunch of guys in Montana at the reunion on April 20th the last year. Um, Z was so gracious to donate all the pictures. Wow. They're all behind the scenes, black and white, beautiful photographs. Um, everyone came together in this project for Dwight, for the Golden Heart Fund. Um, Matt, tell us about the Golden Heart Fund. Yes, yeah, so that is, uh, like I said, Dwight's charity of, of choice. He wanted to take care of his guys. And the Golden Heart Fund is something that um, basically inspired by uh, Mr. DeBarlo at his Hall of Fame induction ceremony, where he talked about kind of the, the toll that, that football uh takes on these players and one of the things he said history is watching what we do it was kind of a, a call for for these for teams for the nfl for everybody to kind of take care of your own and so uh mr DeBarlo donated a million dollars in seed money the york family donated a, a million dollars and it's basically run by 49ers alumni to take care of other 49ers alumni who are in financial uh, need, uh, you know, any kind of support they need. Um, and, and the way they term it is it's a hand up, not a handout. So I know they've already impacted a, a lot of former players by uh, giving them that kind of support, financial or medical or um you know anything yeah. they they need to kind of help them out and this this speaks of dwight because he always talked about it. he was always about his guys mm -hmm. his teammates he wanted to be able to help them directly and well, nobody's making 
any money off of this book. Cameron and Company. We should mention Cameron and Company. The, the, the publisher published this thing. Yeah. Is, they've been remarkable in, on so many different levels. Um, first and foremost, that they're, they're donating all the royalties go to the Golden Heart Fund. And then just from a uh, production standpoint, how do you put together a book of letters? Yeah. It's very difficult. Th- this thing, I'm, and I'm that this isn't necessarily my area of, of expertise. Brad can can talk about it and, and pump the uh, or blow the horn for uh, Ian Morris, but this book looks phenomenal. I, I will. I'll, I'll do it. It's a handsome volume. You put it on your your coffee table as a photo book on your coffee table. It would work. Plus, mm-hmm. you have the letters. Plus, you have the essays. Um, yeah, no, it's it's lovely. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna it's gonna be a gift that I give out for uh, right all my 49er fan friends. Out, people can pre-order, I assume, and then release date. I assume you guys are gonna have some signings. I've we, been to a Murphy Mansion book signing yes, at the party. Yes. So. <laughs> well, first of all, the the place to go for any and all things letters to eighty seven is appropriately enough. Letters to 87.com, which Brad has worked tirelessly on. It's a wonderful website that you can go there to watch the documentary Letters to 87. You can you can see pictures. You can find out about all our events, which the list is growing. We have book events coming all over the place. Our book officially launches on 87, which is August 7th on that night. Details are coming rapidly together. But on that night, we will be. At Pete's Tavern, right across the street from the ballpark. Nice. Beginning around 4 o'clock through about 8 o'clock, there will be former 49er greats. Uh, names to be announced, but we know Keena Turner will be there, and some other really big names are talking about coming. Books will be for sale there. It is open to the public. Uh, our own Brian Murphy here will be emceeing and interviewing a lot of the great players, and it's going to be a, a heck of an event. Following two nights later on Friday, March 9th, uh, Friday, August 9th, is going to be amazing at Green Apple Books in the Park here in San Francisco. It's going to be Matt, me, and a rare appearance by the legend Michael Zagaris. Wow. Who will be able to walk over from his uh, hate in Ashbury <laughs> a neighborhood house. So August 9th at Green Apple. Nice. So people can go to letters to 87.com and uh, get the book there, find out about events. And um, yeah, congratulations, guys. And uh, as a as a 49er fan, thank you. This is uh, just a lovely tribute. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I, I, I keep joking that it was making me cry like in a good way you know <laughs> yeah, absolutely. i mean it was a, it was bringing back a lot of good memories and hearing people's stories just reminded me because these are the people who surrounded me when i went to games when i was young and brought back a lot of really great feelings um even beyond the inspirational story that's behind it so just thank you two, all yeah and, two last thoughts before we get started yeah. one i just have to say i've had pole position staring at this picture of him in the fur coat the <laughs> yeah. entire time this this thing that him in the fur coat and the cowboy hat you putting that in a frame and putting that on the desk here has completely captured the appropriate environment for this podcast so dude you are an artist uh, you are an interior decorator second to none and then the final anecdote is just to, to wrap it up on dwight is when the niners said what can we do for you um, before you know your you know ALS gets too bad, and all he asked was for one thing, he just said, "I just want to see the guys." Yeah, and that's what they did. They brought in the '81 team. That's all Dwight wanted. 
He didn't want a ceremony. He didn't want a party. He didn't want a statue. He didn't want this or that. I just want to see the guys. And I don't know that that reunion would have ever happened again. Um, if not for Dwight? Yeah. I mean, think, well, uh, Keith Vonhorst passed away, yeah. you know, a short time after that. Uh, you know, Dwight now is no longer with us. Um, I, I think it's kind of almost symbolic of what Dwight Clark meant to that team, to this franchise, that his play kind of started this thing, and, and yet him, the person, brought everybody back. Mm-hmm. He was He was somebody who just united people. Yeah. Well, rest in peace, Dwight Clark. Thanks for coming, guys, for for a tribute. And, uh, and yeah, the book's wonderful. Well, you're the best for having us and for wearing your Respect the Stick T-shirt. <laughs> That's right. All right. So awesome. <laughs> thank you. Peter, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Peter, so Thanks. much. guys. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Brian Murphy, Matt Mayoko, and Brad Mangin. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.